special day in the life of our church uh, when we ordain and install new officers. And I typically, according to the Book of Church Order, we uh, preach on that subject uh, as we uh, prepare for that. Let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the Book of Acts there right after the Gospels in the New Testament, Acts chapter 20. God did not call me or give me the gifts to be a person who could produce movies, but if I were to do a short movie, this would be the passage in the Bible I think I would choose. Uh, the farewell of Paul with the Ephesian elders uh, there by the ocean uh, in Miletus, and that's what the account is here. But we have these, these very meaningful words and an emotional departure. I'll begin reading in verse 13 of Acts chapter 20 through verse 38. Hear God's word. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asus, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asus, we took him on board and, and, and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Cloas. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from, delivering, from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. 
In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. So ends the reading of God's holy and inspired and inerrant word. Every church is unique. And Paul had planted the church in Ephesus, and it was very unique. Churches are have their own personalities based on the location, the size, the leadership, and the just human personalities and, and so forth. So every church is, is very different. Just a reminder, Paul had spent almost three years, as he refers here, in Ephesus when he had gone there sometime before and planted the church. He loved the city. He loved the people. The people loved him. And now he is being led by the Holy Spirit to return to visit the churches and that he had helped to establish and ultimately go to Jerusalem, uh, which was the mother church of the Christian faith. And he receives a prophecy from the Holy Spirit that in Jerusalem he will suffer. He doesn't know the specifics, but he knows that he will suffer and he may even be killed there. So he's traveling by ship toward Jerusalem and the ship pulls into Miletus for a few days, which is uh, 30 miles, Miletus is 30 miles as the crow flies from Ephesus. And during his layover there in Miletus, he, he sends messengers to go to Ephesus and to ask those who are the elders in the church there to come and to meet with him in Miletus. And that's when they meet, these are the words that he speaks to them. And I just want to make a few observations before we have our time of ordination and installation of what Paul said about himself and then what was the exhortation he said to them. Uh, first of all, in verse 19, he, he tells them his ministry had been selfless. He said, I've served the Lord with all humility. He, he even says in verse 24, I don't even count my life as dear to myself on any account. If, if God calls me to be martyred for him, so be it. Uh, so he'd engaged in this work, this, this ministry that God had called him to for no personal gain. It was out of the love for people and, and love for Christ that motivated him to minister. And then in verse 19, secondly, he also describes his tears. He said, I serve the Lord with humility. And in verse 31, he says the same thing, remembering that night and day for a period of three day, years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. It had cost him. He had been emotionally invested in these people. He had affectionately loved them. This was not just a profession. It was not just a job. He loved the people. I remember preaching at an evening service here one time early in our ministry here, and I referred to having worked at a church in Boca Raton, Florida, and I referenced it as I worked there. And I remember after the service was over, one of our elders, Orban Howell, came up to me and said, Chip, you served at the church. And I've never forgotten that. <laughs> Even if it was just uh, words, I got the point. It's not a job in that sense that you just take like you could go from there to somewhere else. And that's what Paul's saying. I ministered to you with tears. I was emotionally involved. I was, I was committed to what was happening there. 
Then in the third place, he, he mentions the cost of his ministry. In, in verse 19, he tells about he knows that plots and trials have been part of the ministry and they, they await him. There, there is spiritual warfare in all ministry. Uh, we are ministering in enemy-occupied territory, the enemy being the evil one. And Satan does prowl about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so there are always trials. And there are increasing trials now, even as we've seen with uh, potential legislation that was discussed this week that will bring trials on the Christian church uh, regarding how marriage is defined and how it's viewed. And so there are always culture wars, you might say, but they, they intensify and they come and go, and they did in Paul's day. And he... He, he knew that, that that was just part of ministry and is part of ministry today. Fourth, in verse 21, he mentions the impartiality with which he was engaged. He'd ministered both to Jews and to Greeks. Now for him in that day, in, mind, in his mindset, that would have been difficult. God had called Paul to minister to Greeks, that is Gentiles, non-Jews. And he was a one-time Pharisee who had thought of Gentiles as nothing more than dogs. If you came in contact with Gentiles, you had to go through certain rituals of cleansing afterwards. And yet that's who God called him to, so, uh, to, to minister to them and take the gospel to them. So he was impartial with that. He, did not, uh, he was not a respecter of persons based on the color of their skin or their nationality or, or whether they were Jew or Gentile or how much they had, or how little education the person might have. Fifth, he, the fact that he'd been a tent maker in Ephesus. Uh, he had worked and supported himself while he was there. And he describes that in verses 34 and verse 35. And then six, another observation. In verse 27, he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He had declared the whole truth of God. That had been the focus of his ministry while he'd been there. And then he gives his final commission, beginning in verse 28. And he urges the Ephesian elders to do three things. I hope you're looking at it. I'm not going to take the time to reread it now. But he begins by saying, pay careful attention to yourselves. You have to imagine this scene. Paul is standing somewhere near the docks, the sea and the, and the boat, and he's ministering to these, this group of elders. Maybe there were half a dozen. I, I tend to think of it as being 12 to 24 for some reason. It just seems, when I read the passage, it seems like it's not just a handful, but it's a, a group of men, and it's a solemn occasion. And these are going to be his final words. And what does he say? Be careful, pay careful attention to yourselves. That's where he begins. It's a word to all of us who are elders this morning, or those who will be come to be ordained as elders in a few moments. It's a word to all of us in the sense also all in the congregation that you should pray for your elders. You should pray for them. And for those who are shepherds, we need to guard ourselves first of all. This is the first thing that Paul says. What he means, we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our affections. We need to watch out for ourselves. We need to make sure that we are drawing near to God. As Paul wrote to Timothy, his, his pastor, protege, later, pay close attention, pay close watch to yourself first of all. Now there's a practical implication of that. Uh, 
And that is this, to those who are elders here before me, you are pretty much of no use to anyone else if your own life is ungodly. If it's out of shape, so to speak, if your own spiritual life is, is in a state of disobedience or a state of confusion or a state of just lethargy, and so that's a, that brings the principle that any congregation, whether it's First Presbyterian Church in Macon or, or whoever, a church in Nome, Alaska, any congregation will rarely, that congregation will rarely rise above the level of godliness portrayed in its leadership, in its elders. And that's really true. I'm not exactly sure why, but it is. So Paul is saying to them, look, you're to be examples to the flock. You've got to start with your own heart. Then he says in verse 28, he, he says you're to shepherd all the flock of God. You're shepherds. So what do shepherds do? Timothy Whitmer in his, his book on the shepherd leader, he, he says, well, a shepherd, just like a shepherd with physical sheep, a shepherd is to know the sheep, a shepherd is to feed the sheep, a shepherd is to lead the sheep, and a shepherd is to protect the sheep. So we are, as elders, to, to know the flock. You have to have church membership. How else then can you define the flock? I think churches that don't have membership today, and that's kind of a growing trend, uh, first, first thing they're doing at that point is evading any shepherding, saying, well, we, we don't have a, a group of defined people we're responsible for. So we need to know them. We need to feed them uh, with God's word, both in a large sense and one-to-one -one and in the home and in small groups and so forth. Uh, we need to uh, lead them uh, as, as a church, as a congregation, and individually with counsel and so forth, and we need to guard the, guard the flock. We're to protect the flock from those outside, false teaching, but also wolves that would come in and, uh, and do harm to people. We try to minister to all types of people and things go on that you don't know about and don't need to know about uh, between the, the elders, sometimes and individuals. And it's, there have been cases in the past where someone who's come into our church and, and because of, of known areas, we say, look, you can come to worship, you can come into this room, but you cannot go in any other classrooms and you cannot go around the children's area. You can come right here. And uh, you, now you know that because I've told you, but that's the kind of things your elders get involved in behind the scene. And part of that is to protect the flock, uh, and, but also guard the flock of what's being taught, uh, what, what's going to be taught in this class, what's going to be taught in this small group. And our Book of Church Order as a denomination says that the elders, the session is responsible. They're responsible over the pulpit. They're responsible for the curriculum, especially with the children. All of that is part of, of being shepherds, plus much more. I must press on. Third thing he says to them, and this will be the last one we'll look at, in verse 29, he says, some will arise even from among your own selves. I know that after my departure, he says, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things. And most commentators think that Paul is saying that not just that they will arise from within the congregation, but some of the very elders, some of these very men will go astray in their understanding of God's truth. 
And that's why we need to be on guard. We should not be presumptuous about our own hearts. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to watch. Some elders are better at knowing the flock. Some elders are better at feeding the flock. Some elders are better at leading the flock. Some elders are better at protecting the flock. That's why God has set up a plurality of elders. It's not just one because each of us have a proclivity to some area and are not good in other areas. Then we see the very emotional farewell in verses 36 to 38. And they, they go down there. I'm, I'm sorry, y'all, but I, I picked up a Bible that the print is... is <laughs> I didn't bring my own Bible in here today, and I use this one, and I'm having a hard time seeing. What chapter are we in? We're in chapter 20, right? Okay. Verses 36. I'm on the wrong page. No wonder I couldn't find it. Well, let me read this again. This is my, my favorite part. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Uh, you get the idea, and I know that Middle Eastern people, and we could say they're much more emotional and they, they express themselves, but... In addition to that, though, there was a relationship here. There was fond affection. Uh, I, to this day, I, when I get with guys like John Musselman that, that is taught here or Randy Pope, and these are people that when I was young, they invested in my life, and, I've, and they have no idea how much I appreciate them and thank God for them. And you have, hopefully, somebody in your life like that. You have someone that maybe technically discipled you or the person that led you to Christ. And they're not asking for any sense of uh, special view in your sight, but there's, a, there's an appreciation. Paul had gone to Ephesus. Probably he had led many of these men to Christ. He had been in their homes. He knew their children. He knew their spouses. He, he knew the things they were dealing with. He had counseled them, perhaps one-on-one, late at night. And now he's saying, this is it. You're not going to see me again. The Holy Spirit has revealed to me I will not be coming back. And they were heartbroken. Uh, They were heartbroken, not doubting that was God's will. God brings people into our lives, and then he takes them out of our lives. He's doing that with John and Pat Kenzer. John, I'm heartbroken. I know God's led you, and you've been telling me for two to three years this day was coming. But uh, John's meant a lot to me going back to, right, well, at seminary. We were together in seminary and then as RUF campus ministers. Uh, and yet we don't doubt at all that God's leading him, them, in a different direction. But at the same time, there's an emotional side. Why? Because people like that have taught us something and they've made an eternal difference in our lives and we will never forget it. And that's how these men were there, even these elders on the, at the docks or on the beach or wherever they were standing there with Paul. God brings ministers to accomplish certain things, and then he moves them on to where he needs them elsewhere in order to advance his kingdom. I think it was John Wesley that said, God buries his workmen, and then he continues the work. And so that's what we see here. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the church. It's not a human invention. We didn't create a system of elders and deacons and 
and so forth, but that is, that is the way you have chosen to shepherd us, your flock, your sheep. You are the great shepherd, and yet you've appointed those in local churches to serve as under-shepherds, and we thank you for that. We pray that this would be a flock where that happens, where the elders, even as we hear them take their vows again or reaffirm the vows, would be faithful to fulfill those. In Jesus' name, amen.